but we're going to read verses 22 through 40. So we'll put these on the screen. You have them in your notes, or you can just open up your Bible and look there. But John 6, verses 22 through 40, read it with me. Here we go. John 6, verse number 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save or except for the one whereunto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. So what this is saying is, Jesus feeds 5,000, sends his disciples away. We read then he walks on water and they get to the other side of the sea, but the people don't know he walked on water. There's this huge crowd that spent the night there. They wake up, where's Jesus? I don't know. He didn't get on that boat? No, he, there was only one boat that left? Yeah, there was only one. You sure? Yeah, there was only one. And Jesus didn't get on it? You know, just, just 12 of them. You sure it wasn't a baker's dozen? No, Jesus went that way. He didn't get on the boat. Well, where is he? That's, what, that's what's happening here. Where is he? I don't know. I guess maybe he got to the other side. I don't know how, but maybe he's over there. So let's go see if he's over there. That's what just happened. Let's see if we can find him. Verse number 25. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then they said unto him, Well, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, Well, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? Or what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat man in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then they said to him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. This morning we're going to examine this passage on the bread of life. And we're going to see that Jesus offers salvation, that Jesus offers satisfaction, and that Jesus offers security. And I think when we understand those, we'll, we'll get what this text is teaching. Well, I remind you that Jesus, when he performs miracles, is not just for the sake of the miracle. John calls them signs because a sign points to something. And here in this uh, John chapter 6, Jesus feeds these people with, with uh, bread and, and, and fish. And there's 5,000 men and they get fed. And it's a sign that Jesus cannot just feed physically, but he's going to tell them it's a sign that he can feed spiritually, that there's symbolic meaning behind that. And you find this account right in the middle was Jesus walking on water. But here are these people the next day coming back to him. They're searching for him, you know, lifting up stones and trying to find Jesus and where'd he go and maybe he's over there so they finally go find him 
In verse 25, they ask him, hey, how'd you get over here? And in verse 26, Jesus responds to them, and he says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. So he doesn't even answer their question. He doesn't say, oh, you should have seen it. I was walking on water, and it was sweet. They were scared. I was like, don't be scared. And it was fantastic. He doesn't explain anything. He just says, I'm, I'm going to call you to the carpet here and tell you, I know why you're here. You want a Pop-Tart. That's why you came. You are seeking me because you got bread, and now you want more bread, which is actually a degradation of motives. If you look in John 6, verse number 2, it says that the crowd originally sought Jesus because they saw the miracles which he did on them that were diseased. So they were originally coming just to kind of see the show and see this miracle worker, Jesus. Then he gave them something and fed them all. And the miracle applied to all of them specifically. And now he says, specifically, you're not coming for the miracles any longer. You're coming to get bread from me. You think that this is, you know, Sam's Club free sample day, and this is why you're here. And there's a problem with that. So he tells them in verse number 27 to not labor and to not put all this effort into physical food that's going to spoil or is going to temporarily satisfy. But I want you to work for that which endures. I want you to work for that which will not spoil. This has everlasting life wrapped up in it is what he says. And this is given by the Son of Man, by Jesus. And you can know that he can give it because the Father has put a seal on him meaning that the father has approved of him or has authenticated him or verified him. Think notary, that someone signs or seals or stamps to say that this is valid, I'll, I'll witness this, that the father is authenticating me so I, the son of man, can give you this meat that doesn't spoil, that has everlasting life in it. That's what you need to work or labor for. Now question, yes or no, are we saved by works? I would love to give you like a participation trophy this morning. Are we saved by, by works? Yes or no? Oh, much better. Some of, most of you said no. Some of you said yes. The great news is you could not have answered that question wrong because we're not saved by our own works, but we are saved by the work of Jesus. So we're saved by Jesus's works, but not by our works. The Bible's very clear on that, that we don't work to attain our salvation, that if we tried, it would amount to nothing. It'd be completely futile. For us to say, oh, I'll do this, I'll do good, I'll try to get my good outweigh, to outweigh my bad, and then suddenly Jesus will, you know, have approve of me. I'll have merit with God, that I'll get to heaven and be like, look at my resume, and Jesus will say, woo, come on in. That's knuckles, that's fantastic, get in here. That's not going to happen. That, that's not the way it works. You can't work to earn the favor of God. This is what Ephesians 2 tells us very clearly, that we're saved by grace, and it's through faith. It's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. God says, I know you. You put your two cents in and you're going to start claiming credit for it. And look what I did and look how good I was. And you're going to boast about that. But we are as workmanship, speaking of works, we're as workmanship created in Christ Jesus and two good works. So it's very clear. We're saved by the finished work of Jesus on the cross that he atoned for our sins, not by our own works. But when we are saved, we do start to work. When we're on team Jesus, we will actually work not for our relationship, but because of our relationship and from our relationship. You say, well, pastor, how could he tell them to, to work then? Well, he'll explain it to you. Verse 28. What work do we have to do? That's what they say. 
Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. There's not a long laundry list. It's not do this, do that, good outweighs your bad. Try to, no, no, no. Believe. This is the work. You need to believe on who? Jesus. Why? To get the meat. What's the meat? Everlasting life. I will give you, you could call it this salvation. The whole, this whole passage, this whole miracle, everything is pointing to everlasting life and that Jesus brings salvation. The whole book of John is meant to point to this fact that Jesus brings salvation to us and brings us everlasting life. But beyond that, I would say this, that Jesus brings satisfaction. It's not just salvation, but he describes it in these terms in verse number 30. This is what it says. They said therefore unto him, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee and what dost thou work? Now I gotta take a time out. <laughs> so Jesus says, believe on me. And they're like, what are you gonna do to prove yourself, bud? What sign do you show us? What, what miracle are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Like, I'm pretty sure he took five Cheddar Bay biscuits and two sardines and fed a city and then he water skied across the lake without skis. Like, I don't know what, what more you need but they're here, we need more, we need a sign, which I'm all for as, as a pastor. I'm 100% for people, if you have questions, if you're seeking, if you're trying to wrestle with the big claims of Christianity and how those make sense, I'm all about that, I love that, I love those conversations, that's fair. Christianity is not illogical. You put all the evidence in front of you, it's going to necessitate faith. But it takes, I think, the least amount of faith to believe in the truth claims of Jesus Christ than, than any other uh, system of, or frame of mind or worldview. So I'm all for that. But there are times where you just, you seek and you seek and you ask and you ask, I need more, I need more, I need more, and you don't need more. Where it comes a point where I'm just trying to put this off and, and, and give another question and another question and I'll stump you eventually where you're not actually seeking, you're not actually trying to believe. And Jesus, I think, is picking up on that a bit where they're, they're well, we need more. And, and Jesus, we have a suggestion for you. Verse 31, here's a suggested sign that you could do. Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Why don't you, why don't you be like Moses? Give us bread. Like how, how obvious are they, Right? Like, this is, this is not inconspicuous at all. They are so, they're like that junior high boy that's trying to position himself around the junior high girl where no one can know. I don't like her. I don't want to be around her, but it's constantly just in the orbit trying to, trying to have that conversation or trying to be around because he likes her. That's, uh, everyone can see it, but they can't see it. And here are these people, well, Jesus, we need a sign, like, maybe bread. You know how Moses, he brought bread down? Maybe you could give us 40 years, like wilderness. You could just keep bringing it. And Jesus is going to answer them, which is hilarious. Verse number 32, he completely calls them out. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. Hold, 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 wait a minute, hold on. Moses didn't give you bread. That came from the father. All right, you say Moses did this and we believed on him, so you do this, we'll believe on him. That came from the Father. Switch the subject back again. And now the Father's giving you the true bread. All right, so this isn't about a meal ticket. This isn't about a handout. He already told them, this is why you're here, wanting bread, wanting food. No, 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 no. That, that's not the way it worked. You're trying to give Moses glory for this, and Moses doesn't get the glory for that. God gets the glory for that. Which is a mistake that people can fall into, by the way. Bit of a sidebar. But you can, you can give glory to people, which is wrong. The glory should go to God. Now you can give gratitude to people and that's okay. 
To give glory to God, but to be grateful for the people that God uses is okay. All throughout the New Testament, Paul will oftentimes in his letters, hey, salute them, thank them, greet them, you know, giving some gratitude to these people that labored with me in the gospel and that helped me. Nothing wrong with showing gratitude. Actually, if you don't show gratitude to those that God uses, that actually is a bad thing. You should be grateful. But glory goes to God. And he's saying, Moses doesn't get the glory for that. God gets the glory for that. And just like he gave you that then, now he's giving you what he calls the true bread. Verse number 33. For the bread of God is he, not what, he, which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So this, this isn't what, this is who. God is giving you true bread, giving life to the world. Verse 34. It sounds like a great response, but Jesus is going to let us know it's not. They said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They're thinking still in physical terms. Sounds delicious, Jesus. Is that on the menu at Burgatory? Like heavenly bread. It sounds fantastic. Would you just feed us with that? We want that. Yes, absolutely. Count us in. Super satisfying. Give that to us. Verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. If it wasn't clear yet, it's getting clear. Ta-da. Here's the bread. Here I am, the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Come, believe. I'm ultra satisfying. I will never spoil. I will never leave you disappointed. Come, have the bread of life. Now, what does he mean when he he talks about the bread of life? What does this mean? Well, he says clearly that he is it. And then he says it's bread. And bread meant more to these people than it does to us. We eat bread. We like bread. We go to Panera Bread. Greatest thing since sliced bread. You know, we, we eat bread. At least if you don't have a gluten allergy, it's tough for you if you have that. But it meant more to them than us. If only the rich people or at a special occasion would you eat meat. That was a luxury item. That, that was a delicacy. It was very rare to have meat. In, these, in this day, bread was the centerpiece of your meal. That was the mainstay. That was the heart of the meal. So bread came to symbolize life itself. It came to mean that it's just all that you need for life. It's what keeps you on your feet. This is why Jesus could say when you pray, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't have to explain that. They knew what he was talking about. Give us all that we need to get through life. We even, we use this jargon in our own culture when we say that they're the breadwinner. What do we mean? They actually go compete in a competition and get loaves of bread? No, we mean they go get the, the, the stuff, the bacon, the bread to, to bring home all that you need to pay the bills and to live and to go through life. And they knew this. That Jesus says, I'm the bread, but it's not just I'm your bread. I'm the bread, he says, of life. In verse 27 and verse 40, he calls it eternal life. Now, here's the question of the day that'll help you unravel the bread of life. What is eternal life? In my experience, most Christians have a limited answer to that question. Most Christians will answer that properly, but not fully, not in a robust way. What's eternal life? Is eternal life just, I get to go live forever after I die? Well, it is, but it's not just that. Eternal life isn't just eternal existence. It is that, but it's more than that. It speaks to a quality of life that is different 
than what we would typically enjoy or something that Jesus could only give. Now, there's two words for life in the Greek. Bios, where we get our word biology from, or you could use the word zoe. This is what Jesus uses when he refers to eternal life. And zoe refers more to a qualitative aspect of life than just existence. Now, you get this and you say this. You don't realize you do, but you, you use this all the time. If you were to go on a vacation or you were to sit down for a really nice meal or maybe you just had a really long day and you finally get to lay down on the bed and you said something like, now this is living. Or you're sitting on the beach, this is the life. Or you lay down, I'm living the dream. All, what are we saying when we use life or living in that way? We're referring to a qualitative aspect of life. Are you saying when, you know what, I'm sitting on the beach drinking lemonade, this is fantastic, this is the life. Are you saying, I'm existing? No, you're saying more than that. You're saying there's something special, there's something more satisfying here, that life is better in this way, that there's, there is a difference between existing and living. Now, I'll think of it this way. Suppose that eternal life was just eternal existence. So put in your mind, ball up all of your hurt, physical pain, all of your fears, your disappointments, your unanswered questions, ball that all up in your mind. And now think of having that eternally. Sound great? If you're like me, that doesn't sound too, too thrilling. I mean, I'll take it instead of death, but I would rather be gone with the tears and the pain and the sorrow and the suffering and the sin struggles, right? When we think of eternal life, we, we may not parse it out in that way or actually verbalize it, but we're thinking of something qualitatively different, something that is not just existence for forever. In hell, you will exist if you go to hell, but we're thinking something different. Life is not just existence. It's, there's something special there. And that's what all of us really, the whole world is trying to, to get at. That's the itch we're trying to scratch, that I don't just want to exist, I want to live. That I've, I want something satisfying. I want something that will, that will help me. And we come up with our own ways that we think, you know, once I, once I get into a relationship, then I'll be satisfied. Once I get out of the relationship, then I'll be satisfied. Once I have kids, I'll be satisfied. Once the kids are gone, we'll finally be satisfied. Once, once I get healthy, once I get the new promotion, once I get the upgraded house or the new car, or whatever it may be, but we know that those don't, they don't last that you feed your soul on something other than Jesus, and at best it temporarily satisfies. I think it's fair to recognize that it can temporarily satisfy. There are things in our life that add value or add zoe to life. There are things that add zoe to our bios, that add life to our existence. Your marriage can do that. Now, you're going to have to work at that. and doesn't mean necessarily that it will, but your marriage can do that. I love my wife and I love my marriage deeply. But if all of my satisfaction is wrapped up strictly in my marriage, that is not going to be Jesus. That is, in the words of Jesus, will spoil at different points in time and is not ultimate satisfaction. My children, I love them to death. And then they bring life into the house. And there are these moments that are just so 
that just make you laugh and smile and give you some joy. There's also some ones that really frustrate you, but they're there, but that's not ultimately satisfactory. Your job, your career, you're being generous. We feel good when we're generous. We feel like life gets better in some way that we can't exactly explain, but it gets a little bit better. But that, if you're just relying on your philanthropy or you're just relying on your family or you're just relying on your career or feeling loved by them, that is not ultimate. And that's what Jesus is trying to get at, that I'm offering you the bread of life, something that you'll never thirst again, you'll never hunger again. This is ultimately satisfying. This is Zoe, you can get this. We know this to be true. I, I don't have to pontificate on this for very long for you to figure this out, that to look at the successful people of the world, that success fades fast. And they start to feel less satisfied by the career, the contract, the record label, the money, the house, those sorts of things. If, I, if you buy me a new car today, it'll make my life better today. That'd be a great day. If you gave me the keys to, to a Mercedes or something today, I'd be happy. That'd be fantastic. But my satisfaction with that car will fade before the new car smell fades away. It won't last long. It's temporarily satisfied. And Jesus is telling them in no uncertain terms, I'm the bread of life. What you're wanting, a meal ticket? No, you don't need that. You need me. You need the true bread. You need that which won't spoil. You need the bread of life. I'm come to give this to you. So this is a bold statement. It's a very bold statement to say, I'm that bread. I'm what you need. I, I offer you eternal life. So eternal life is an eternal existence. Yes, but it's more than that. It's a quality of life. In eternal life, it does that happen after I die, that I live eternally? Yes, but it's more than that. It's meant to affect today. So you need to understand what Jesus is bringing to the table and what Jesus is offering in this new life that is meant to be given today and forever in him. But lastly, Jesus brings security. We touched on, on the satisfaction part in John 4. This is exactly what Jesus said to the woman at the well. Drink from me, you'll never thirst again. But we have not yet hit this. This is new in John, and we'll elaborate further on this once we get to John chapter number 10. But this is Jesus stepping up and saying, with this salvation that is satisfying, it also is extremely secure. Verse 36. Bad news bears in this verse. I said unto you, ye also have seen me and believe not. He says, look, I'm telling you, I'm talking at you. I'm trying to get you to get it, but I, I see you're not believing. You're not believing. But he is going to explain some. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, and if you're in the habit of underlining, just underline this, I will in no wise cast out. Now he'll elaborate on verse 37 in a little bit. Next time we're in John's gospel, we'll elaborate on the sovereignty of God and what he's saying there in verse 37. But I'm going to skip it for now because we're going to hit it next time. Verse number 38. For I come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that all which he hath given me, underline this, I should lose nothing. But, then underline this, should raise it up again the last day. And then he's going he's gonna to put a capstone on all of this and just tell you what all this meant. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up again the last day. So here Jesus says, to those that come, to those that believe, I won't cast you out, I won't lose you, I'll give you eternal life, 
and I'll raise you up again the last day. All of those are awesome. All of those we need. All those your heart and your soul needs. In this life, many of you have been quote unquote cast away. You could put it this way. Someone left me. Many of you know what it's like to have a dad who walked out, to have parents that have disowned you or family that wants nothing to do with you, to have that boyfriend or girlfriend that broke up with you, to have that spouse that left you, to have the boss that fired you, and I could go on. And that is painful, and I'm not minimizing that one iota. What that does to our hearts and, and how that hurts and if you're not careful, you'll import that experience into your relationship with Jesus. And you'll think, well, this relationship burnt me and they left me and they, they didn't hold up their end and this is how that worked. So now I'm a bit skittish when I come to Jesus. What if he does this to me? What if he lets me down? And you can take great confidence in the fact that Jesus says, I will not cast you out. Come to me, believe on me. I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going anywhere. It's not going to happen. You can rest assured and have supreme security that there's nobody like me and there's no relationship like mine. I'm not going to cast you out. I'm not leaving you. Then he says, I'm not going to lose you. Now that's different than leaving. Every parent, not every, but most of you as parents, would know what it feels like to lose your little child. It's only happened to me once, but man, is that scary. To have a little munchkin and then to realize we're in a public place and I lost a beat on them and I don't know where they're at and that adrenaline starts to surge and you get frantic fast to try to find that little one. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You felt that feeling. I didn't leave them. I'm not trying to get away from them. I'm not trying to depart from them. But I just, man, I lost them accidentally. And Jesus is saying, I'm not going to cast you out. I'm not going to leave you. But also, I'm not going to lose you. I'm always going to have a beat on you. I'm always going to know where you're at. I'm not, there is no whoops. I'm not going to come to the last day and be like, ah, oh, I forgot one. Where'd they go? That's not happening. I'm not losing you. You say, well, I'm trying to lose him. Try to run. He runs, he runs faster than you. He'll catch you. You know what it's like to quote unquote backslide and to try to get away from Jesus a bit and to get away from that relationship. And he says, if you're mine, you come, you believe, I'm gonna pursue. You're gonna run fast you can. You're gonna turn around and I'm right there in your face. I'm not losing you. Then he says, I give to you eternal life. Come, you're mine forever. I won't leave. I won't lose. I give you eternal life. I will raise you up on the last day. If Jesus got you on the last day, you can know he has you every day in between now and then. If he's going to have you at the very end, that's what he's saying, at the very end, I got you. You're mine. This isn't, I'm not letting go. This, I'm, is, I'm not going to go 90% of the way. I'm not going to putter out at the end. There's not going to be this, ah, at the, no. At the last day, I will raise you up. You can have assurance. Now, you need to let that be a warm blanket for your soul. You just need to wrap yourself up in that and just stop right there and just enjoy the fact that if you come to Jesus and have believed on him, it's not about your work. It's about his work, that he has you. People ask, Pastor, can a Christian lose their salvation? I understand the question, but it's the wrong question. Can Jesus lose a Christian? The answer is no. 
He can't. He's not going to. This, this is extremely secure that if I know him, this should, this should put you at peace. If this isn't true, or if it's dependent upon my work instead of his work, then you're never at peace. You're constantly anxious. You're constantly worried. There's, there's no assurance. There's no joy. If it's dependent upon me and I'm in and out, I'm adopted, then I'm disowned, and then he has me, he doesn't have me, he, I'm secure, I'm not secure. If that's the case and you're in and out and all over the place, then you're constantly wondering, did I do enough? That was good, but was it enough good to, to overwhelm all of my bad? Did I, did I uh, when I did something bad, did I, did I lose credit for my good stuff? How does this scale work? Is it a 50-50, more good than bad? Is it a 60-40? What is it? You're constantly worried. No matter what you do, good or bad, you'll never have a peace. You'll never be secure. You can never just... You, you, your soul can never breathe. It'll always have bags under its eyes. And Jesus is saying to these people who don't believe on him, to those that do believe on me, who th those that do come to me, I have got them secure. Won't leave. Won't lose. Give life. Mine on the last day. I got it. And rest in that. Stop and just rest in that and know when you pillow your head, if I've come to Jesus, I don't have to ask him my heart 18,000 times. I have to do this over and over again. I don't have to worry about what I did this day. I want to serve him and love him out of a heart of love and what he's done for me, but not to earn credit, not to earn standing. This is Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life. What's that mean? I'm going to give you salvation. I'm going to save you for your sins. We'll talk about this next time we're in John's gospel, but Jesus will illustrate bread by breaking it. I'm broken for you. To, re to receive nourishment from the bread, it has to be broken first. It can't stay whole. That I'll be broken for you so that you can be made whole, so that you can have this life. That I'm that bread. I give you salvation. I'm going to give you satisfaction. The things that you're searching for in all the world, all the empty wells, all the things that you're outsourcing your joy to that are temporary, that are, that are momentary, that are fleeting, they spoil, they don't last. Come to me, I'll satisfy you. Never hunger, never thirst again, never spoil. And know that I got you. You're secure, not lost. Mine forever. Rest in that. Breathe, breathe that in. Just live in that this week. If you know Jesus as your Savior, here's, here's what you need to do. If you don't know Jesus, come and believe. If you've been asking, questioning, coming, seeking forever, maybe today's just your day. Just believe. Come to him, put your faith in him, accept him as your Savior. Bow the knee and surrender to him and say, Lord, you're in control. If you have already done that, are you satisfied? It's very possible, is what Jesus is going to say next time we look at this, it's very possible to have him, but to not feast on him. So yeah, I have you and now I have eternal life. I'm looking forward to heaven, but you know what? I'm still chasing the wind now. If that's you, go back to him. Surrender those idols Surrender the things that you're temporarily trying to find satisfaction from and say, Jesus, I come to you. I want my satisfaction from you. You're the ultimate. I'm going to enjoy my family and life and my career and all those things, but I'm looking to you as my ultimate. I come to you. Go to him. He wants to satisfy you. Rest in his, in his security. Have that peace of heart. Pray with me.